welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, Episode 18, Understanding Enneagram Types, Part 1 your personal road to recovery and growth. Well, welcome back, fellow travelers, journeyers, to uh, this is podcast number 18 of the Journey of Integral Recovery, and I am still John Dupuy, and that is Dr. Bob Weathers, and this is uh, our producer and co-podcaster, Doug Prater. Hi, everybody. And and we have been rolling along, um, going in really interesting Highways and byways as we try to get through the uh, the aqua map, which is kind of Ken Wilber's uh, meta theoretical set of lenses to understand reality in ways that we've never been able to do before. And it is just such a wonderful application to the journey of getting sober, uh, growing up, showing up, waking up, and cleaning up. All right, which is what this is all about. And we're on the last little part of it. Well, we're the last part of the month. No, we're on the introductory of the last part. Okay. So, and I'm going to try not to screw this up too bad. But uh, today we're going to talk about types. Okay. And this is so important. You know, thank you, Ken. Thank you, God, for showing Ken how to do this. Um, that if you don't do it, it's just everything gets messed up. It's like there's not any of these things that you're going to leave out, and it's just going to be a disaster. You know, sometimes I think the four quadrants is enough, just that, and we just focus on that. But it really takes all this other stuff. Why? Because, you know, we were talking about about uh, the, the last couple of podcasts. We are talking about states and, you know, stages and how they work together to achieve these, these different, these higher versions of ourselves. And very important recovery, because if you don't get to some higher uh, stages, you're going to drown. So you need to climb up, you know, to these higher levels where addiction is no longer controlling your life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, you know, communitarianly, et cetera. You know, it's just, it's, it's a complete transformation and the journey goes on from there. And what we didn't have before in, in recovery treatment was this understanding of stages and states for that matter. But, and that's one of the problems with AA, you know, that you kind of get stuck. You know, there it is. There's nothing beyond this. You just got to come back, tell the same old stories, do the same old thing over and over again. And a lot of people finally, they go, God, I love this. And it's been great. Maybe even saved my life, but it's time to move on. And there's not really room for that. And if, if AA would add, you know, just this, this understanding that there's, you know, it's not the same when you're three days sober and going to your first meeting as when, you know, you've, you've been sober for 26 years and you're doing something else, you know. Hopefully, there's a difference. If not, there's something drastically wrong, right? So, we're going to add uh, types. And, and there's different, there's Myers-Briggs, which is very kind of a Carl Jung-influenced uh, 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 typology. And there's the Enneagram, and Pam was telling me about something called Ocean. Anyway, there's, there's various ones, but the one that we've been using um, – an integral recovery more than others, and you're totally invited to, to use whatever ones you think, uh, is the Enneagram, okay? And let me just give a few introductory statements. It's, it's really interesting. It's really old. Uh, it comes from, there's Persian roots and Near Eastern roots. Um, it seemed to have been included in the early church fathers and church, yeah, fathers and mothers out in the Egyptian desert. 
as an early kind of springing forth of Christian mysticism uh, that was wiped out, that, you know, that lasted for a while, but we still have the Philokali and the writings about it. And apparently it emerged out of there. So there's various different sources. And so it's been around for a long, long time. And it was always used for, uh, in the beginning, as a part of spiritual growth. Because we have different types of people, and not everybody's the same, but we do have certain archetypes that seem to emerge. There is some kind of order in the way human uh, personalities emerge, and why that is important is the more it's again it's 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 a type of mindfulness. The more that you are aware of your own. Uh, uh, proclivities and your own weaknesses and your own hooks and your strengths and all of this stuff, the better you're able to function and the baby, you're able to understand other people better. And not, not everybody's going to see the world and react and want to do the same things you do. You know, it's like, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm self-professed counterphobic six and Doug, you're probably hanging around four or five. There probably a five with a four wing. And this, my dear beloved brother, Dr. Bob is a seven. Yo. So, you know, uh, uh, a seven, seven and fives get along really well, but you know, the seven might say, Hey man, let's go do this. And, and, Absolutely. I, and he would say, I would rather read a book. Thanks. Uh, so anyway, but I'm getting again, the court, the, uh, the um, horse in front of the carriage. So before I launch on to my, my thumbnail description of all the points, um, anything you guys would like to add? I uh, would like to jump in here and say that you riff on something you mentioned earlier. One of the most fascinating things to me about studying typology, which is something that I had always been interested in taking different personality tests and, and learning about myself. That's my five. I want to know as much about everything as I possibly can, et cetera. But um, learning through, through Ken's work and through what you just said, that uh, the study of the Enneagram, the study of typology can be used to illuminate, illuminate our specific obstacles and therefore our specific path to spiritual development was really kind of groundbreaking for me. I thought, ah, well, that just sheds a whole new light on this and gives me another reason to to really work with it. So it's just fascinating. And there's so much depth and richness here. I'm glad we're talking about this today. Yeah. And, and it can, it, it can allow you to be more free and have more diversity. You know, often you see like religious groups, you know, their founder was the Buddha, you know, maybe a five, I would say. And so the whole religion comes very five-ish, you know, or if the guy's a seven, uh, uh, anyway, I don't want to offend too many people, but anyway, it, they begin to project it and you think that's the way, you know, the sevens way is the way for everyone. Well, no, it's not. It's really, really not, you know, and, um, especially in the beginning. And they say, as you begin to heal and emerge in some ways, you manifest the, the, um, the, the healthy aspects of your point or your, your type, but also you begin to take on the positive characteristics of the whole human family, which is kind of a cool thing. Uh, so anyway, so the Enneagram is, comes from, I guess it's, it's Greek Enneagram professor. Yeah. So it's a nine pointed, uh, geo- geometric figure, but so there's nine points and there's different lines and everything, but we're not going to get into that today. And maybe we can put up a picture of it and, and here's the really good news. I'm going to confuse everybody today and then we're going to bring on the experts, you know, uh, later on and uh, on the show, but just to give you a taste of this and, uh, you know, this is becoming, um, pretty mainstream, you know, a lot of people know about Enneagram, people that call me and stuff and say, well, what, you know, we get in sort of deeper conversation and where are you in the Enneagram? And they'll say this, and it just kind of begins to open and, and, and illuminate what's going on. And, uh, we were, we were taught at JFK and Pam, my wife and I, 
uh, when we were in grad school, which is where we met, uh, three quarters of uh, the Enneagram. Well, it was also mixed with DSM-3, I think, at that point, and the Diagnostical Statistics Manual and, you know, about pathologies and everything. But they also used the, the overlay of the Enneagram, which was really, really fascinating. And that was the first time that Helen had ever begun to teach in public. This is Helen Palmer? Yeah, Helen Palmer. I didn't know it. So she was a real pioneer, and she got a lot of heat from people who were trying to keep this thing kind of buried and esoteric, you know, not get it out to the mass, you know, everybody. And, uh, you know, and there, anyway, there's always conflicts. But she, she uh, I think she was sued, but she pioneered on, you know, and uh, has blessed us. So, and she's, she's an amazing, lovely woman. Anyway, so there's nine points. And I'm just going to go through, and you guys just interrupt me anytime you feel like so there's point one, okay, and the characteristics of, well, let's see, the different authors name them uh, different ways, but it's the perfectionist, okay, it's the, uh, they, they tend to be, and this is, I'm speaking of the average or maybe unhealthy one, uh, because they all go through phases, and there's a great book called The, uh, um, the Wisdom of the Enneagram, that's a great blurb from Ken, but in each chapter they have you know, like super unhealthy, you know, unhealthy, average, doing pretty good, really good. And so you can go, oh, yeah, last Monday I was doing pretty good. Today, uh, not so much. But anyway, you can see the different, you know, parts of it. So it's all, hold that in mind when we talk about all these points. So uh, it's also called the judge, all right? And there's a, be, there's a tendency of black and white thinking. It's either right or wrong. There's no gray. There's no bringing together. Uh, they tend to be, and I find this um, comforting at times. They're very judgmental on themselves. They're too busy beating themselves up to beat me up, you know. But when they do turn their focus on me, oh my God, have they got a lot of material to work with? So yeah. So my my kind of gut reaction is one: I go, oh no, you know, <laughs> gotta start judging me and all this stuff. My dad was um was a a, a one. And yeah, when he was in his negative state, oh God, but when he was his great state, you know, they, one's healthy ones. And by the way, there's, when you're getting healthy, you go to a certain point. When you're unhealthy, you, under stress, you go to a certain point and then you have two wings just to confuse the issue more. So it's complex, but the one goes to seven, which is, he was so delightful and such everybody just radiated just around him. Cause he was so funny. So self-deprecatingly beautiful, man. Anyway, so my father, the one. So, I, oh, and 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 another friend said we're not just our points, you know. Say I'm a six, but we take on the stuff that we're handed from our parents. Mm-hmm. So my father was a one, and my mother was a three, which is achiever doer. We'll get into that. So just to give you a, a taste of how this works, is that you know I can never be good enough, and I can never get enough done. Mm-hmm. Like no wonder I feel crappy about myself all the time. And it wasn't until I started working on myself in therapy in grad school that I started to realize that. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You know, I don't have to be perfect. And, you know, I have to get done what I have to get done. And I don't have to lay things on myself. And I'll never be able to compete with my mother as doing a million things. She was really, really an amazing woman. So anyway, um, so anybody want to comment about the one as we just you know, very, very briefly get a taste of, of, of what these points might look like or feel like? Uh, I'll say a word here, John. I, I'm really kind of taking notes today because I'm uh, and I know you're aware of this. I'm far less familiar uh, with the Enneagram, uh, but I'll tell you as I'm listening, even to your last comments about your mom and your dad, I've been steeped in the Myers-Briggs typology owing to my uh, training in uh, Jungian psychology is that 
they're, uh, while they're not at all equivalent, I think the idea of typology and how it can inform us is, is, is quite parallel. And, um, and, and I, I'll say this much is my first exposure, which also for me was in graduate school, to the Myers-Briggs or the uh, Jungian temperament, you know, the Jung, Jung's types, it really was one of these kind of uh, scales falling from my eyes experience in light of the fact that in, in the Jungian typology, just one of the dimensions is thinking versus feeling. And what became very clear to me, I was thinking of this as you were talking about your mom and your dad, is that I'm from a family of six, my mother and father and three siblings. And out of the family, little Bobby was the only feeling type. Every other person is thinking type. And so how that oftentimes goes is I adapted myself to that yeah. because I was a decent student. I just didn't, I didn't assume anything was wrong with it. I just assumed all the way through adolescence, all the way through school, all the way through adolescence into young adulthood that I was a thinking type and things began to break down. Remember how we talked in our last podcast or two about disequilibration. It was like, although I can think just fine, my primary location is in my heart and there was no modeling or reinforcement of that in my family and just as for you with your mom and your dad you received strengths from them on a good day on a bad day there might have been judgment or expectation even from within well my lord do I identify with what you're saying because I grew up then always judging myself on thinking uh, in, in categories related to thinking and never once thought maybe that's not what I am so it was incredibly liberating for me as I know it has been for you and I'm sure for you too Doug incredibly liberating to come across a typology that could help me understand not only myself, but those that I grew up with. I was married at the time. Yeah. I was married to a woman that on the union typology, there's four different dimensions. We were opposed on all four of them. And uh, the woman that developed the Myers-Briggs, Isabella Briggs-Myers, did a bunch of empirical studies as you can calculate the length of a marriage. No comment on the quality, but you can calculate the length of a marriage based on how much overlap you have on those four dimensions. I was married to a woman that we were polarized on all four. It's a miracle that we stayed married for 12 years. <laughs> but it really was. It provided a, a non-pathological language. I love this about typology. Even though we can look at the shadow side, and you're going to talk more about this with the Enneagram it gave me a way of talking about what happened in my family of origin. It gave me a way of understanding what was happening in my marriage, which was current at that time, that didn't have to point fingers and blame. It just helped me to understand these collisions, these lack of communication, uh, lack of empathy, and it went both ways. And I actually became much more forgiving, not only of myself, but of my wife and our differences, certainly of my family. Um, really very helpful. So I really want to underscore with you, John, and with you, Doug, the transformative nature of these typological yeah. Uh, schemes. I think they're incredibly liberating. And, and you know, I'd love to, uh, to do a podcast uh, somewhere in the future where you really unpack Myers-Briggs because, uh, you know, I'm da, 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 and, and, and I feel kind of ignorant. And most of the people I know, therapists, they all know it. And I'm something I've just, I need to add to my education. So if you be happy to be happy yeah, to that'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah. 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 So and, now I'm going to take notes. I'm going to take notes yeah, as you're uh, talking. I'm all, I'm all ears. <laughs> and, and, you know, further, uh, sorry, not to further um, muddy the waters of typology, but uh Masculine, feminine plays into this as well. Yes. And agape, et cetera. And maybe uh, we can get someone, Colleen comes to mind, but maybe yeah, somebody yeah, or, yeah. to come in and discuss that Thank in a future you. episode as well. She'd be, she'd be happy to. In fact, for what it's worth, you guys, Colleen's expertise in Myers-Briggs, she's had massive amounts of training. So at some point, I'd far rather have her come back and present, and she could address in the same, the same conversation, the masculine, feminine, but she's got really deep training just happens to be one of her yeah. specializations and it's not mine. I'm familiar with it, but not nearly as much as Colleen. And so 
maybe in the future. Yeah. yeah. And somebody once said that every theory, every model has to be as simple as possible, but no simpler, you know, because mm-hmm. things are complex. Well, because reality is pretty complex. I mean, maybe not in a kind of a unity state, it's all one, but when you get down to evolution relativity, my God, there's a lot of complexity emerging in this whole dance that we're doing. So yeah, and the masculine feminine is very important. And, you know, you could have a, a one where we are, you know, who's the feminine one, and it's going to be a bit different from a masculine one. And then of course, as per Carl Jung, you know, for a man or a masculine type to become whole, it needs to 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 uh, make friends with and embody the feminine. And the feminine needs to embody the masculine. Then you have the whole thing. And then you have life. I mean, you know, that is how life emerges. If we're not, you know, doing symbiosis or something. Uh, let, me, let me ask you a question, John. I know that this is early in the thank, conversation. Thank but you for saving me from the, the unicelled organisms. I was starting to fall <laughs> off a cliff there, but go no, ahead. No, I, I didn't feel like at all. You actually spurred this question. And Doug, you can chime in here too. I'm very curious from a Jungian perspective, um, while one has one's type, that it would be one's preferred kind of go-to, I prefer feeling I've made my living by thinking. That's and so it's, it's not that I can't access that, but I prefer feeling. My feeling comes out in relationship. My feeling comes out in the therapy I do. My feeling comes out in the drumming that I do, et cetera. But thinking is how I've made my living, honestly. So the idea in Jungian thought is that while one has one's typology, and you could add uh, the conversation about anima and animus, you know, uh, masculine and feminine, the goal would be to integrate what he called your contrasexual opposite. So if I'm male and masculine, then let me work on uh, integrating my feminine uh, characteristics and vice versa. The same with his typological scheme is that if I'm feeling, let me not split off thinking and let th- let me put extra effort into developing what he called my inferior functions. They're, right. not, they're, they're not my dominant functions, but my inferior functions. Is there any correlate? This is the question. Is there any correlate to this in Enneagram theory? I, I, because I'm not familiar. Yeah. I, yeah. How does that go? Well, I, I love that quote from Jung, and, and the one that I use is that, you know, God comes through the inferior. Yes, uh, yes, function, yeah. You know? yeah. And so yes. you became, uh, you know, obviously you're brilliant, and, and you yeah. really cultivated yeah. that. However, adding new levels of neurosis, you were not able to be who you really were because of your lack of support and all yeah. this stuff. So you really yeah. developed the, the inferior function, which got you a long way in life, you have to admit. Yes. I mean, you, know, you yeah. had a great career and whatnot. But then you had to rediscover as part of your spiritual healing and emotional yes. healing. Yes. Now your yes. feeling part, which is really what you came into the world leading with. Yeah. Let me let me dive in right there. And Doug, you dive in here too. It's really cool what we're talking about. Is that just the way you talked about it, John, is that growing up where I was reinforced for my thinking function, and you both know that I spent most of my adult career as a university professor. I can guarantee you that's some serious thinking stuff going on there. So that's how I made my living. I continued to be embedded in a thinking environment with most of my peers being psychologists. Uh, and as I said earlier, being married to a thinker and my entire family of origin being thinkers is that one of the appeals of substance and intoxication in altered states, you know where this is going, Yeah, absolutely. is it was a way for me. And I, you know, Jung would say it was a poor form substitute for what I was really seeking would be the integration of the feminine. And so the feeling, the creative the intuitive, the relational, all of that. When people talk about why did you use drugs, Bob, there's a million reasons for that, but I just named four reasons right there. It was to engage with those different parts of the feminine, and uh, and I didn't have any other access to it because, honestly, what I had built were these thinking muscles, and that's really all I thought I was. But the psyche won't let you off the hook. If you split off the inferior function, it'll come in through the back door. It, really it certainly did for me. 
Yeah, and also the the uh, what's the opposite of the inferior, the superior function yes, yes. will also kick your ass if you've been neglecting that for too long. Yeah, yes, which is yes. which led into drugs. And yes, you know, yes. getting back to the one, you know, yes, the judge yes. uh, is that you know why would a a, a judge uh, why would a, a one start using drugs? I mean, you know, this is something I've just kind of thought about and talked mm. to people about. It's not mm. totally totally you know written in stone, but we can imagine that perhaps that self judgment. And that judgment of others, I mean, that's a bummer way to live, to be in judgment all the time. I do it. You know, I'm reading the news, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know? And, uh, you know, but you can't do that all the time. And that, you know, that black and white, I, I have a, I know one whom I'm pretty close with over the years, and the inability to, to in, start to integrate these polarities can cause a tremendous amount of yeah. just delusion and psychic pain. Can you imagine? Yeah. And uh, a particular person said, I've never done anything wrong. Can you imagine? It's like, holy, you know, it's just, it was just, I, 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 blah, blah, blah. well, I say, well, I've done enough for both of us, I'm sure, you know? <laughs> So, I mean, but that, that's a, that can be the really unhealthy, rigid structure uh, of a one. So unless we're going to do uh, one podcast on one point, which may do down the road, we should move on to two. Okay, okay. And uh, two is uh, the helper, okay? And often you'll probably find in our culture, you know, masculine, feminine, more, more um, um, women tend to be uh, – uh, twos and you find men, I mean, it's, it's a broad generalization or gay men, you know, feminine gay men uh, tend to be a twos and they're, they're about helping and service and helping others to get their sense of who they are by helping. Okay. Which you can imagine can be really annoying and an unhealthy too, because it's, it's very manipulative and it also can be very seductive. And two women can also be very seductive because they use that to kind of control mm-hmm. and they want to kind of be the power behind the scenes, but they totally want to be acknowledged of how helpful they are. And if you don't, you know, you're going to be in trouble. They're going to be really pissed. So if you, you know you have a two, just wow, you're, thank you. You're so helpful. You're amazing. Couldn't do it without you. Yes. You know, not that we all wouldn't like that, but it's particularly uh, uh, a healthy for two. And, of course, what are some of the, uh, you know, some of the, the pathologies can be very codependent. You know, you're always trying to help help live, live in the glory of the other. And um, twos are actually pretty prone to, to addiction also because there's a lot of sensitivity there. And there's a lot of abandoned self, you know, in order to help others. And I went to that for years before I really had, got smashed by the universe and broken apart and put back together again. You know, I said, man, I suck so bad. So I'm just going to have to do a lot of good just to justify my wretched existence on the planet until I die. You know, and that was kind of that service as an avoidance or a a phrase that Ken, Ken um, talked about in his new book, the future of religion, you're numb to numbness. I love that. You know, you don't, you're not even where you're numb. You're so numb. So first, you know, you break through the first layer. Oh my God, I've been numbing out. And then, you know, with work or grace or whatever, you open that particular door and then all the goodies start to emerge and the baddies for that matter. You know, and you begin, you can, you know, put all that together and uh, actualize, realize human being, hopefully. Mm. So is that any, any questions or comments about twos? It's a swing to martyrdom. Yeah. Nice. And uh, there's, there's in twos, you, you mentioned this already, but a very unhealthy level of neediness unless that, is something that you're aware of because the self is important too. taking care of oneself 
and depending on the acknowledgement and, and support from others that you're looking for through your services, one of the ways that twos can move forward and integrate and, and continue to develop. Yeah. I, like, I like how Wilbur talked in his earlier writings, at least, and you guys will remember this, about finding a balance between agency and communion, that, the, yeah. that, that, that we need to be both uh, open to communion, which would be more the feminine impulse, or like you're saying, John, the helping impulse, but not at the expense of autonomy or agency. And it's always a tension about how do we carry this. And I think you're right, John, the generalizations pertain is that we men are socialized to be agents at the expense of communion. Right. Uh, and, and women, the, the, the reverse of that. And so it's how do we carry that, again, kind of carry that, that uh, lesser known or that, that kind of opposite function, carry that consciously. And without that, then you end up with the pathological, it sounds like with twos, you end up with the pathological variation of that, which is, like you said, Doug, that's the martyr who is only communion, no sense of self, and the self ain't happy about that. <laughs> yeah. As an aside here, uh, I would like to have as a guest on one of these episodes here soon, gentleman by the name of Wesley Fuquay, who works with something called the Silogia method, uh, which I went through him and, and John did as well a couple yeah, of weeks brilliant, ago. Brilliant um, I worked with him yeah. on unification of opposites. Specifically, I worked with agency and communion and bringing yeah. these things together. Interesting. That's great. Really I'd love powerful. to, I think love to hear from, love to hear from you. Love to hear from you and your work. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and on the extreme, the masculine is like, get her done. You know, this is what I got to get her done and screw everything and everybody else. Got to get it done. And the, the, on the stream of the feminine, it's like, it's all about receptivity. And, and so for, for the, the, the feminine, they have to boundaries, agency, this, and the basic masculine has to pull its head out of his ass and realize it's not all about you, you know, and you have to open yourself up to the rest of, of your community in the world. So, uh, again, thumbnail brief. Something sometimes painfully brief and just painfully said. So, so that's the two. And you know, I live in Utah. It's a very Mormon culture where I live, and I, it's an interesting question whether you know it's just like destiny. You're born with this typology, or this culture, you know, bring you. You know, your parents, the, the community brought. Does that have something to do with that? I imagine it would. Um, but you know, babies are weird. You know, it's like the first time you see a baby. He's there. I mean, or she's there. They have their own personality. They have a soul. There's something unique about them, and you can watch that emerge as they grow. But the Mormon, you know, doctrine and all is very uh, prone to creating two women, you know, because they're supposed to be subservient to the masculine and about service and about, you know, the man's the head, the priest. Women can't be in priesthood. I mean, obviously the Catholic thing, too. And so you find, you know, very helpful women. Sometimes it's annoying when it's not healthy helpfulness you know it's yeah. just like it, it's coming from a place that's not exactly a squared away then you get you know then people emerge and, and become themselves within any tradition but i've noticed that a lot in utah you run into it's a lot of the, the two eminent stuff mm-hmm. and it's kind of refreshing when you find a two man it's like oh that's kind of cool but anyway um and so three is the next point and the three is the aju- the achiever the doer they are a human doing, not a being, okay? And um, I mean, they're really good. If you have a startup, you need a couple of threes at least just to get things done. My mom was that. She was unbelievable. Mm. Multitasking and all that she could order that and accomplish. And she just, and she never complained. She was always motoring on. And, um, you know, you uh, and say an unhealthy three, or not even unhealthy, just kind of average three, you go into their office and they have all their diplomas and, awards and shaking the president's hand, maybe not current president, but anyway, 
Uh, <laughs> I said current president. I, I mumbled. Uh, uh, but depending, maybe so. So, you know, and, and they're, they're, you know, they're well-dressed. And I've noticed there's a chameleon aspect of the three. Mm-hmm. They, they can see, you know, what's the accepted norm, what's the power suit, what's, and they can just adapt. I imagine actors would take that ability on when you're taking on a role. But, you know, when I was working the wilderness thing, we get new trainees and stuff, and they'd come in for the first briefings and stuff like that, and they'd look at everybody. Then come back dressed just like all the, you know, the top wilderness guides or something. they take on those aspects so they can really shift around. And and on a, uh, uh, you know, unhealthy level, just be it can just be manipulative. You know, you're trying to achieve like a unhealthy salesperson or something. You know, it's just like all of this stuff. And and uh, yeah, that they they haven't they haven't uh, gone deep enough. You know, that I mean, the depth is 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 part of the, the the journey out of the prison of the type into the gifts of the type, right? Mm-hmm. And so they need to. I mean, meditation is wonderful, and they learn why they're doing all this stuff. And then you can, you know, then then it can be okay. The the get or doneness of the three can actually be a positive thing. Sure, Bob, you don't have to react. Yeah. I should, you're the doctor. I should. Be great, <laughs> I, I love what you're saying, John. I, I, you know, you've talked before, and I know Ken talks about this. Is that good material? Uh, 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 good instructive material is psychoactive. I'll tell you guys a story. Just in recent weeks, I've uh, uh, got a new client. Uh, it's a client that I meet online. And uh, this client read Wisdom of the Enneagram and had one of these uh, epiphany experiences and is working on on three, just what you're talking about right now. But immediately, it gives a shorthand. I actually have the book and I read that chapter, but it was, it gave us a very quick shorthand for talking about his life, but he's having the experience that we were talking about earlier, which is everything is making sense in his, in his life, his work, his marriage, his family, etc., his unhappiness, his uh, growing edges, all of that. I think it's an incredibly psychoactive thing to be able to have good theory like this. And so I just want to say that affirming what you're saying. And it's just interesting that that, that was the initial conversation with this client. We need to start by my Talk by talking about me being a three, and that's where we begin. Yeah, yeah. you're right. It, it is psychoactive, and, yeah. uh, and it just and you just understand what you know. Elite world leaders or leaders in organizations yeah. or followers or anything. When you understand, it, you go, okay, and you yeah. can work with them. You know, and you can be yeah. more compassionate and more yes. understanding to yourself and to others, yeah. and more skillful. I might add, more successful. You know, it actually provides also. It's implied in what you're saying, but but he's got more compassion for himself. His rough edges and conversations that replay in his mind, they all make sense to him now because of his threeness. It's beautiful to see his empathy for himself, the lack of shame, as well as a willingness to work on its rough edges. It's all implied in this theory. Brilliant. Well said. Uh, so, so we'll leave our little our three. That's a type A, you know. And in the yeah. DSM, DSM Diagnostic Statistical Manuals, they don't have a... I don't know if they have workaholism as a disease yet, but type A in America is like, that's, hey, that's what you're supposed to be. The closest, the closest the DSM comes to this is compulsive personality disorder. Yeah. And it ends up becoming kind of an overarching, it's not just a, it's not having like a single compulsion. It's like your whole life is, is driven. And so it really does manifest as workaholism or type A would be one manifestation of compulsive personality disorder. Yeah, and why a three might start using drugs. Well, first of all, you know, you use cocaine or drugs to get more done. And then the other thing is after you do, you know, you accomplish all this stuff, at a certain point, you know, get back to existentialism, the guy Duplessis was talking about, it's like, none of this stuff matters. I'm empty. Ah, let's, you know, uh, you know, uh, that, that would be a move. 
And there's another piece of it, John, with the two uh, reasons you just mentioned. How many clients have I seen over the years that they'll say they're they're just what we're talking about? They're 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 a three type. The only way they can shut this off yes. is is to alter their brain through consciousness. And so yes. these are people that come home at the end of the day and smoke a caca load of pot or drink you know pints of of alcohol or whatever like that. And they'll talk about it just this way. That's the only way I can shut down my type compulsion. A yeah, that just. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a, fives what a, are kind of thing. prone to that too. The substance are they, same, shut no, this makes, down makes sense. No, it makes complete mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So God bless all the threes out there. We love you, and God created you. So you must have yeah. something. I'm not kidding you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. But a healthy ones, like I said, you start doing startup. They'll get, they get a bunch of nines. You know, get some threes. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, I won't get into uh, that complexity of the enneagram. This is just an introduction. So we move to four. Oh my gosh, are the fours fun? Okay, so fours are your tragic romantic poets. And earlier you were talking about Beethoven. I don't remember this time or last time. And he went in to play his new sonata for his patron, the Baron, somebody. And doing all the stuff. And the guy said, well, that's lovely. What's it mean? And finally he did it again. And he slammed the keyboard. And, oh, nobody understands me. That's exactly it. That's exactly I'm Ludwig von Beethoven. <laughs> You know, these cretins, you know, so there's a sense of exactly you're deeper, it. more original, smarter, more unique. I call it terminal uniqueness, you know. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when you're teaching this stuff, you can see the four start to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> can't classify me. I'm beyond right. education. Right. You know, and they're, they, they have a, a, I mean, they're romantics, okay, in, in the European uh, literary mm-hmm. sense of, of the word. Yeah. And I noticed... Um, and with the Enneagram, where I first started teaching it, I was a wilderness guide for many years, and we'd get caught in a, in a, in a flood or rainstorm or blizzard, and we'd have to go into a cave or alcove, and all these teenagers sitting there, what are we going to do? So I started teaching the Enneagram, and they loved it, you know, because what's more ex- exciting subject to one than their own selves? Yes. They start going, bing, you know, they start waking up, and they just, yeah. just really dug it. Mm-hmm. So the, and I noticed the fours, we'd be out there for weeks, we had no access to mirrors, you know, unless you, you know, you find a clear <laughs> pond and, and usually it was like either muddy water or maybe running streams. And so, but I'd noticed the forest, they would, their scarves would always be in their hair. <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, what is it? Anyway, just, just a, a classic literary romantic character. Climbing the mountain. Thunder. You know, all of this stuff. Really delightful. Uh, they, they, they have a depth. You know, they think they're deeper than everybody else, and sometimes they are. However, in an unhealthy four, the depth just, they're really deeply into their emotions. You know, and as we were talking about, you know, states of consciousness, if you don't go deeper in that, you become a slave of your passions and your emotions and your feelings, and it can kill you. And there's, there, you know, and, and if you go into, you know, theater and music and writing, all the creative professions, there's tons of fours hanging around. So if you're in that profession and you're not one or you are one, you've got to get used to it or learn how to deal with it. Yeah. So they, they have to go through to, to their own depths again. And when they come and then, then um, when they begin to get healthy, I mean, the fours are just so gifted. They have so much to give to the world and a beautiful uh, sensitivity and artistic sense and depth of soul depth, you know, and, and, but often on, on the, on the, on the, on the scary side, it's like more, more forwarders try to kill themselves, commit suicide and successful at it than almost any other thing. You know, when you're, you know, your world's not meeting your expectations or this or that, you know, you, in this moment, you know, there's something 
really cool about it all in this dark brouhaha way, you know? So you have to be, you know, careful that if you're for, you're working with Ford, you have friends with Ford, make sure that, you know, you're aware of them. We're talking about self-destruction and everything. Take it seriously, you know? You know, you remind me, uh, John, of a story. I haven't thought about this. It's probably been 25 years ago. Do you remember Thomas Moore who wrote Care of the Soul yeah, back in the 80s? He came to Malibu here in Southern California a number of years ago, and I, I, he was in a home. I went and uh, sat in a living room and listened to him talk about this. But he told a story that night, and it's in that book, Care of the Soul, but you just reminded me of it with a four. Is he talked about the myth of Narcissus. <clears throat> and in, in Greek mythology, uh, this reminds me of your earlier image, Doug, of looking at a pond of water reflecting the sky. In the myth of Narcissus, he looked into the pool, saw his reflection, and fell in love with his reflection. And Thomas Moore talked about this uh, very much in the vein the way that Carl Jung would have talked about it, is that that, uh, that impulse we will label narcissism. Here's somebody who's stuck on their mirror, like your image of the, 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 uh, the guys out there needing a mirror. And he says the, the move for that person is not to move away from the pool. It's to move deeper. So it's like that impulse just, and I never forget this image, and I actually asked uh, Thomas Moore about this to expand on it because it was so moving to me. It really came clear to me. The problem with narcissism is not that it, that it um, thinks so much of itself. It doesn't think deeply of itself, enough deeply of itself to really engage with all it is, and that's only a depth dimension. So like, I was almost like looking through the surface of the water to engage with one's, one's depths, and that puts us right into what you're talking about is the realm of spiritual development. And it takes us back to Doug's story about jumping in the San Marcos River and having that moment of, you know, yeah. you know fall yeah, into it. That's good. And, and that's Kenneth good. said, the, problem is, the yeah, problem is yeah. that your ego, not that your ego is too big, it's not big enough. Yes. In other words, yes. the, the yes. self needs to expand beyond the little yes. I into, into the I that's all. Yeah. Jung talked about it this way. He said that that kind of fixation on the surfaces, it's a poor form religious substitute. What's really wanted from spiritual experience is depth. And so we stop at that level. We're satisfied with too little, just what you're saying with Ken Wilbur. How does that match, Doug, your experience of diving into the water? I thought it was very cool, John, that you've got that. I just, that's a brilliant image. I mean, does that match at all your well, experience? It's, it's uh, an interesting insight, too, that yeah. as you move closer, you put your face beneath the water and you see the other side. You're no longer seeing yeah. reflected at all. You're seeing something completely new underneath. Yeah. And, 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 you know, getting back to that, we're talking about the masculine and feminine, um, you know, you're talking about narcissism. Well, as you know, in the study of psychology, there's healthy narcissism. Yes. You, yes. you need us. And, and yes. Yes. In, the, in the masculine feminine of raising a child, you need the, the maternal that it's just you're the adored, you know, the object. We're so happy you're in the world. We love you. You're my precious darling, blah, 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 which is really good. I mean, we need to have that and be able to nurture ourselves. And no matter how bad we screw up, sometimes realize that essentially we got something from somebody when we were children or even before just infants that realize that, you know, we can, we can access that. Again, the masculine, however, is like, uh, I love you when you do the right thing. Okay. So you need that both. You know, if you just fall into, I'm perfect, I'm okay, I'm special, blah, 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 without that thing. Yeah, but you got to show up in the world and you have to take responsibility and behave in a way that's honorable and good and compassionate, skillful and all that stuff. Uh, you know, but if you, if that's all you have, you got to do, 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 you got to do the right thing, but you don't have that, also that, that built of ability to self-nurture, you know, it's also, there's an emptiness and a pathology there. So you really have to bring it together yeah. Yeah. where you realize you've got to show up, you've got to take responsibility. The same 
you know, you can stand and look in the mirror and say, you know, hey, you know, you're loved. You know, you are loved. So I, you know, uh, I can have a lot of can, type four deep within myself. Um, I'm, okay. I'm most probably a five with a four wing. And Bob, on the uh, Myers-Briggs personality type, I am either an INFP or an INTP, depending on the day and depending on the way the specific questions are worded. But the thinking and feeling are very, very close yeah. in me. Um, That's very true. I have done, John, what you were talking about here with the four, this, this resonates a lot with me because I've done a lot of interesting uh, artistic things over the years and, and still involved in writing and music and dance and acting and just all these other things that have been wonderful. And so a lot of the uh, work that I have done over the years has been bringing some of those unhealthy aspects back out to it, balancing the thinking and feeling and specifically uh, my growth practice over the past decade or so has focused on integrating and balancing masculine and feminine within me to yes, move yes. forward and grow uh, in both of those dimensions. Yes. yes, yes. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, we don't have to be like, it has to be a 50, 50 mix, you know, but we have to have some balance, you know, so you don't have to just be, I remember when I first got to JFK, you know, it was very green postmodern and the women were all kind of masculine. Nobody wore makeup and they were kind of rough and all the men were really soft and everything. I was like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and, and I, I think as we move into, you know, beyond that, which is understandable, you know, because the women are going women, you know, feminism and women have been oppressed, oppressed and put down and not paid and, you know, made, you know, less than for, you know, about thousands of years now. And men realize that and they feel guilty about it and blah, 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 blah. And that's true. And we should feel, you know, the, our unconscious, you know, our racism or our, our sexism, all that stuff has to be dealt with in a healthy way. But as you move beyond that, then you begin to, you integrate it, then you can kind of be, well, you know, I tend to be a more masculine guy and that's okay. And I understand the feminine. I understand what, but I'm kind of manifesting as like a, maybe a 70, 30, you know, 70 masculine, but I have access to that part of me. I'm conscious of it and the need for it and how I have to, you know, manifest that. But when people see me and they go, Oh my God, he's really this. Does that make sense? So right. We're not talking about just a, just a has to be totally balanced, but there's, there's just a, and people finding their own level and the correct balance. And maybe that balance will shift when you're in different roles. You know? Well, and balancing the masculine and feminine does not imply some sort of androgyny either. There are peaks at different points in the curve. You could be very feminine in some ways, very masculine in other ways. And that doesn't mean that you are neither. It means that you have tendencies of both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to come back to something you said, Doug, and then mention something John said just prior to that. When you mentioned your, typology in a union framework is so that you're, I'm going to simplify it. You're introverted, intuitive, uh, thinking slash feeling, maybe feeling slash thinking and uh, pro uh, perceiving, perceiving. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say for shorthand, INFP with a fair bit of T. Okay. We have exactly the same typology. They have exactly the same typology, which makes for a very curious mix with, with what you're talking about, John, in terms of Enneagram is that Doug and I have identical typology in a union uh, framework, but have different typologies in Enneagram, which is suggests that they're parallel and there's some overlap, but they're also quite separate. I felt very curious for you to say that. Uh, and we'll come back to the Jungian later, but it's very interesting is that these are non-intersecting systems that way, at least to me. And I wouldn't have known that until you confessed that. I thought, that's interesting. We're identical typologically and possibly uh, 
uh, different in some significant ways or not. I don't know. I like you a lot, Doug. So that's, that may be, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And yet we carry different Enneagram kind of uh, primary residences. John, I wanted to come back to your comment about narcissism, just to make a comment about that as well. It's interesting. I love what you said. In contemporary psychoanalysis, narcissism and narcissistic development is non-pathological. It's really a synonym for self-development. Narcissism yeah. is in self-development. So, for example, all of us need narcissistic supplies. There's no negative or pejorative connotation. Narcissistic supplies in terms of being mirrored, in terms of being uh, met, in terms of uh, uh, living up to our ideals, all of that supplies us. The only problem is when there's something that's thwarted in terms of our nutrition, let's say, yeah. then, then developmentally we get stuck in pathological narcissism. I'll finish with this comment. Two issues ago in Rolling Stone magazine, which I've read religiously since childhood, it's a great magazine. The, the, the cover article was on the pathological narcissism of President Donald Trump. And the article was written uh, as a psychologist would write diagnostically about a patient. So it really wasn't a diatribe or a polemic. It was just, here's what goes into, speaking of the diagnostic and statistical manual, here's what goes into the, di the diagnosis according to the DSM of uh, pathological narcissism and then just offered evidence and I'll let people come to their conclusions. But it's very curious because what it was looking at was what happens to narcissism, which can otherwise be healthy when it gets derailed developmentally. Well, it looks like pathological narcissism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only point of reference is yourself. Yes. And the whole world and everything only has meaning as it reflects your own. Exactly. Your exactly. Own you know, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. you can imagine the problems that, that well look at it you know look at the presidency of of donald it's uh it's really say sad. no more <laughs> yeah say no more. John Henry, that. No, but just getting before i move on to five doug I, I really appreciated your your ability the artistic self and the thinking self you really yeah. you're truly right. like rocking yeah. on both those yeah, things really, i don't know really which good. one is, is, is it's, a, it's really been fun to watch i have a suggestion here gentlemen and i want to run it by you rather than racing through the next several types. How about if we uh, take a natural break here and come back in our next uh, podcast and so that we can give ample time to not only the, the other types that we've yet to describe, but also look at applications. Would you be agreeable to that, John? I hope the rest of you out there listening are having as good a time as uh, we are, because if you, if you are, this thing will grow and uh, reach a lot of people. Well, anyway, let me mention something here, John, is that, is that I think the, the viewers know this by now, but Doug and John and I, we meet every couple of weeks, sometimes every three weeks or so, and we, we, uh, we move through three podcasts consecutively. We break them up topically, and they're presented each week in sequence. But I, I, I was aware of something today in the break between our second and third podcast. I just I feel this every time we get together. I come back, and I'm beaming because I feel so much pleasure and joy in what we're accomplishing together and also feel so much love for both of you. And I know that it just radiates by the time we get to our third podcast and we're on a roll, I can hardly keep from smiling the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> you are smiling a lot. That is very true. And, and Doug, you're trying to control it, but you're smiling too. So poor is just not so cool to smile. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, five ways one. I'm either supposed to be yeah. matched or, you know. I can't wait to hear what you do with seven in our next podcast. Oh, John. my goodness. They're a lot of, a lot of fun. Let's I may I may miss that day. 
<laughs> hey, uh, yeah, the six is coming up too. So my goodness. Well, look, uh, are there any announcements? You go to the uh, the website, uh, the Integral uh, Recovery Institute website. You can mm-hmm. get the missing link to get onto the Facebook group. Yeah. Yes. And you also, is that where you you get the free deep recovery? Um, uh, it's Deep Delta, and yeah, Delta, you can go to it right there on the uh, IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com. Um, yeah. Also wanted to mention for this particular episode, and probably for the next one too, I'm going to put a link in there to go and take an Enneagram test. So if you guys are curious to find out your own typology, go to IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com, and we'll put a link right there on the page to go and discover your Enneagram types. That's awesome, Doug. And, and we also offer, you know, coaching and counseling. Uh, Bob and, and Doug are doing that right now. So if you resonate with these cats, you know, you might want to contact us about that. I'm currently not doing it, but I do get a lot of calls and requests. And we will, you know, uh, Bob, you're working in SoCal to, to get a uh, uh, integral recovery influence treatment center going. But right now, there's really not that much available. So oftentimes you have to go through maybe a non-integral thing to get started, you know, to have that, that clean time and sober and all the, all the foundational stuff they can get from a good treatment center. And then when you get out, you can connect with us. You can get coaching support. We can, Absolutely. you know, to grow the community. So there's a lot going on and, um, Hey, it's been, it's been terrific. Thank you all for tuning in and, and Oh yeah. Let your friends know about it. What do you they, punch like it or something on Facebook? I never understood how that works, but anyway, I'll let people know, get it around and, uh, uh, yeah, let's, let's get together and, uh, do some good, yeah? Yeah, good, good. Yeah. All right, love you all. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.